on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Business Channel. If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is the first time joining, uh, welcome to our show. And for all of our other listeners and viewers on LinkedIn Live, welcome back to And Security for All. Um Again, wow, we're a couple of we're a couple of weeks away from the holidays. For any of you that are in the Midwest, you can definitely see a climate change. It's definitely we can see uh, winter is coming, and everyone is putting Christmas lights up already, which I think is not to be done until after Thanksgiving. But um, it's going to be very interesting for families this year on Thanksgiving. Will turkey be on your table this year? I am the worst procrastinator when it comes to buying my turkey. I always cook turkey for my family, and I usually get it the Monday prior. Well, now here in St. Louis, our local supermarkets aren't even taking orders for turkeys. Costco is out, so I don't know what the alternatives are going to be. So that's not our topic today, but I was just something I was having a conversation with my family prior to this. And I just think it's very interesting, the world that we are in and how things are changing because the supply chain is a very scary situation right now. Today, I have another great guest. He's a longtime colleague and another expert in the cybersecurity and community and industry, Dan Lorman. He is the Chief Information Security Officer of Presidio. Today, we're going to be talking about his new job and his new book, Cyber May Day and the Day After. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks so much, Kim. It's wonderful to be with you, and and I agree with you on everything you said about those turkeys. And <laughs> we're talking about the same thing in my family in Michigan. So I can I can relate. I know. What are we gonna do? I mean, <laughs> is Thanksgiving gonna change, and we're gonna have something new as the main course? I don't know. Exactly. So it's a scary thing, which leads us into some scary things that we deal with every day in the cybersecurity world. So tell us about your new job. And, um, you know, I've known you for a long time and you've, you've, you've kind of been working on for yourself, for your own company. So tell us about the new position and how that happened and what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks so much. No, it's great. I, I literally on day 10 with Presidio, I am the field CISO uh, really kind of leading the advisory services in the public sector. Um, so Presidio is a, is a great 
global um, solutions provider, digital solutions provider, um, a cybersecurity company. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those things, uh, Kim, that they, they uh, Dave Trader, who was a colleague and a friend who I knew in Michigan, uh, came talk to me a few months back and just really, really been impressed with all that Presidio does. Um, and with so many partnerships in the industry, works with all the best and brightest um, of partners around, around uh, really around the world, but certainly all throughout the United States and, and talked about the opportunity and the growth um, that's happening at Presidio. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be working a lot of the uh, similar kinds of things I was doing at Security Mentor before, but certainly working more in a wider range of cybersecurity um, consulting roles and really helping companies uh, and businesses really think about digital transformation and how to secure that. Um, we have partners and, you know, providers that we work with across the spectrum. Um, I know in the SLED space, state, local government education, uh, we just, just really work almost every state and local government, not everyone, but most of them throughout the United States. So I'm just really excited, uh, really energized about this new opportunity. Uh, seven great years with Security Mentor, good, good company if you're doing security awareness training, but uh, Presidio is really going to widen my role and, uh, just really excited to be working with Presidio. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on your new position. And you said you've already, you're traveling again. So <laughs> how's that feeling? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. The first day, literally my first day of the job was November 1st. And I was literally leaving quarter to, quarter to eight, in the, you know, heading to the airport. I spent the first three days up in Minneapolis with our team up there and did some, did some business uh, dinners with some business leaders. And uh, we had some um, a couple of really nice events out there and uh, just really, you know, it is, it's been, it's been good. Um, you know, the month of October, since you and I haven't spoken in a few months, I actually with, uh, when I was still with Security Mentor, we got a chance to go to Seattle with NACIO, the National Association of State CIOs, uh, which, you know, and, and, and really um, visit a couple of other events that I, I was able to do um back in september and october so it has definitely picking up more travel um not to where certainly where it was before covid but i certainly am hopeful that in 2022 as we head into the new year we're going to start seeing more and more live events so just look forward to really seeing people face to face I mean, it's just so much better to be live um i, I love zoom i love <laughs> i love online events like this you have a great show i know you have great you have a great show um as you you know really do all of your future con cybersecurity events around the country. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, we are too. We actually, this week, for anyone out there listening, we have our St. Louis event, and that's going to be live, and we are Good. streaming all of our events in a hybrid mode. We did three events already in a hybrid mode, and it, it's it's challenging. It's challenging not because of COVID. It's challenging because Many of the cybersecurity practitioners have gotten very comfortable at home, and it's very easy to just watch things virtual. All everyone says they want to be back out there, but um, I, I hope that, you know, I think it's 50-50. So I think we are in the world of hybrid and streaming and continuing to have to provide people virtual options. But we're, we have this year um, St. Louis, and then we go to San Diego, and then we go to Atlanta. Nice. So you just got to merge forward and, you know, show people that, you know, you don't want to miss these live events because that's where connections are made. And, you know, I, I met you at a live event, you yep. know, so we're looking forward to 2022. As long as the airlines can get us there, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, we got all that situation going on too. I suspect so. we're going to see some delays to coming up here with Thanksgiving weekend. I, I just, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, Delta was pretty good when I flew to Minneapolis, but I, I've heard, I'm hearing, I won't start naming other airlines, but there's <laughs> other airlines are having difficulty in canceling flights and things. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the holidays. I know. I'm a little worried. Uh, next Friday, I'm going out of town. I'm meeting my daughter. She's coming from New York, and we're supposed to meet at the same time. I'm like, yeah. well, let's see if we both get there at the same time, I hope. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But also, congratulations on your new book, Cyber May Day and the Day After. That's awesome. And um, I was just talking to Dan Show. We He's going to come out to our Detroit event next year, which is in the first quarter, and do a book signing out there. So let's like dive in and talk about first what was the inspiration of this book and tell us a little bit about what it's about and then we'll kind of dive into some questions yeah thanks no i'm so excited cyber may day uh the day after just literally the the, the hard copies just literally came this week in the mail and some of you've seen on linkedin i just i posted something with you know me opening the box and um just really excited um so this really started about 15 months ago i was um some of you probably know Shemaine Tan, but she's actually in Sydney, Australia. She does a lot of the cyber meetups in Australia, um, really all the different cities, Sydney, but Brisbane and, and Perth, all around Australia. But they also do events in Malaysia, I think, in, in uh, Japan and Singapore. And so um, she's wrote a, wrote a book. I helped her, did a bunch of stories in that from my experiences being a chief security officer. She actually came and, and, and asked me, hey, Dan, let's write a book together. And and we talked about you know what was really missing in the market and what was really um, you know kind of hot topic, and and the, the 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 issue the topic of really cyber emergencies and incident response and this was really before and we'll talk about this in a few minutes Kim but this was before we had the solar winds and and before we really hit you know Colonial Pipeline and and JBS meets and the, the different challenges we've seen this year we'll talk about that but. Um, you know, this was really started about a year ago, but, you know, August of, of uh, 20 and just really kind of thinking through what we would like to do. And, and there was so many ransomware attacks and so many different stories around the country. So let's bring together real true stories with best practices and really kind of walk through. Um, and we do this in the book, you know, really kind of what to do before, during and after a major cyber incident. And, and we certainly all see cyber incidents every day of the week. So some of you are thinking, okay, why Cyber May Day? We, that, that's kind of where we land, landed is mm -hmm. the end of the book. So, again, the title is uh, Cyber May Day and the Day After, um, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruption. And um, so, really, the reality is, is that, you know, people want to hear true stories with that. There's so many checklists out there. Um, there's a lot of different best practices that people can go to. We actually have a whole section uh, in the book on free resources um, from cyber playbooks um, to different samples for tabletop exercises. We'll walk through some of that in a little bit. Um, lots and lots of, of, of uh, different best practices in the industry, public sector, private sector, NIST. Um, talk about the cyber framework and those kinds of things. But what makes this book really different is uh, Shemaine and I really – talk about true stories of things that have really happened to people and what did they learn from it um, as, a, as a company, as a, as a government, as an individual, and, and what is it like to actually have those emergencies, you know, and, and what is it really like to live through that? Um, and so that's really what we cover in the book. And um, 
we're really excited. There's so much that's been going on. And literally, you know, we had written most of the book. We, we had three offers. And then Wiley is our publisher. Uh, they've done a great job working with us. Um, it's going to be a global book. Um, they're planning on, you know, more than 10 languages, you know, around the world. But it's also a book that, um, you know, really is going to be uh, going, uh, you know, Australia and Asia. Um, you know, Shemaine's got stories from all over the world as well, but lots of stories in the U.S., uh, local government, state government, federal government, but private sector as well. So really a mix of public and private sector stories. And then what, what were the lessons learned and what do people learn through that? So there's three parts to the book, before, during, and after incidents. And, um, you know, just really, really excited. And, uh, of course, you know, as we, as we were wrapping things up, you know, and we'll talk about this, but you know, that's when the Colonial Pipeline incident happened. So literally uh, we were in the editing process and the final manuscript was due June 1. And, of course, in May was when Colonial Pipeline hit, end of beginning of June, uh, end of May. Was, was the JBS and, and, and those incidents. So, um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. Well, I don't think there's any way you can stay ahead of what's going to happen to tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen. While we're on the show, who knows yeah. what could be yeah. happening. So with all those emergencies out there and all those stories that you are telling in the book, how did you even narrow it down? Because there's so many big things that happen. Like, or is there an example of one that you can share with us? Sure. And there's, and there's tons and tons of stories. You know, we, we talk about um, literally laying out, um, you know, uh, many of you remember, you know, we have, I have stories in here from a lot of the CISOs that I work with in state governments in, in Texas, in North Carolina, a lot of other states, North Dakota and others, uh, private sector companies. Um, one of the ones that you wanted to share, um, you know, really is, is, is a story that, uh, you know, we, we really kind of, uh, we'll kind of come back to some of the, some of the, the statements we start off with, with you know, what is the imperative here, and what are the what are the first, um, you know, what are the what are the statements that were made by a, a wide variety of, of of different leadership? So we can maybe get to that and and the imperative here. But one of the early stories in the book um, talks about, and you know, we start off in chapter one and and really talk about if if I had a time machine, and and really thinking about you know, if you could go back in your job to one time, because we almost do this in any area of life, right, Kim? But um, maybe we were doing that about Thanksgiving this year. But if we don't, mainly in, sci in the cyber world, in, in our jobs, in our day jobs, and, and, and really, it's not, just, it's not just a technical book. This is really for business leaders, anybody, CXO, leadership, um, certainly technology and uh, cyber pros will be very interested in this. But really, any kind of business leader, these 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 things can impact you, right? Um, and a lot of people, uh, if you know, if you go back to one point in time, what would you do differently? If you could change one or two or three things, do you have the influence? How would you do that? What would you change? And one of the things we discovered, still a large number of people, you know, and and we we we, we let out with this story, have this attitude. I don't want to know. I, I, I really, you know, if I don't know, it can't bother me kind of, you know, if I don't hear it, if I don't know about it. But right in the beginning of chapter one, we tell a story um, about uh, a, a, an incident that occurred um, where a, a, a certain public official with the FBI told the story um, basically around airports. And, and what, and I just want to quote this part to you. Um, I'll just read you part of this from, you know, straight from the book here. So we're going to read this one little little section. Um, we, a search was done and, and 
on monitoring of keywords related to airport security, detected nearly 10,000 servers that were publicly available, on which over 400 blueprints of airports worldwide were identified, sitting on unprotected third-party connected devices or in misconfigured cloud storage. Some of the blueprints were extremely detailed, including location angle security cameras, revealing which were motion activated or had facial recognition capabilities, and even precise information on how to access and take control of the cameras. In addition, these blueprints contained the location of the detention rooms that were hidden from the public, um, runways, position of fuel lines from the tanks leading to the runways where fuel was pumped into the wings of the aircraft. There were blank signed templates of security application access forms if compromised would have allowed access into the airport facilities. There were also completed security badge application forms, official stamps and signatures, and over 300 files describing safety procedures and policies. Those procedures included instructions on how to bypass the entire security system and how to deactivate it. There were also identified details of air marshals, departure times, arrival dates, weapons that were allowed to be carried on, such as intricate information about um, easily served blueprints for a terrorist attack um, that could have been used for a terrorist attack. Frightening part of all this is that data was found, let's close with this part, Kim. The data was found on third-party servers in many countries, including the United States, France, UK, India, Spain, and others. So this is one story we then dive into. And, you know, it starts with um, literally just knowing, you know, what, you know, and NSA, we learned is that my, my background and sort of my career, as you know, Kim, and NSA is like, you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, mm -hmm. just knowing what's out there and doing that risk assessment, doing an analysis of what, you know, what your situation is and, and having that desire. Um, there's just so many stories we're seeing each and every day. It's just unbelievable how much, um, uh, how many uh, different impacts we have from uh, ransomware, and, and honestly, I don't think most of them are even getting into the press. I mean, I'm hearing stories even the last couple of weeks. Um, a lot of these are not in the press. They're, they're private, can't talk about them because of, 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 of privilege, you know, uh, private clients. But um, it's, it's, there's just so many stories and there's so many people. And it starts with, you know, a desire to know what's out there. So talking about all the, like, that's really frightening, that information right there. But talking about all these cyber emergencies, which is scary and frightening. Um, and I don't even think that there's enough press to cover everything that's happening. But why do you think, you know, we see it on the news all the time, cyber attacks weekly. What do you think are the causes for this? And is it, how are we going to get ahead of this? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, clearly, you know, we saw in a good sense, I think people during the pandemic, and we just talked about, you know, working from home, everyone, so many people are hybrid. You're seeing more and more, you know, digital transformation. A lot of organizations are saying, you know, the productivity was there. There've been a lot of benefits that people found from, you know, working from home and, and maybe a hybrid environment. But that digital transformation and having to go things online have also led and I think we've seen, you know, an unprecedented number of ransomware attacks, of, of digital attacks, of cyber attacks hitting corporations in the last year, in the last two years, really since COVID. So I certainly think the pandemic um, has accelerated. Um, I also think, you know, there's a lot of, of, of we're seeing this, I'm hearing it right and left from CISOs, CISOs and CTOs, CIOs around the country. Um, the staff shortages are a huge challenge. Um, 
you know, basically the, an ability to respond isn't really where it needs to be. Um, I, I think, you know, we're paying part of a debt that's really been out there for a long time. Is it this has been building? Um, the bad actors are getting better faster than the, than, than the good guys. And, and so uh, the reality is, is that, you know, this has been kind of a perfect storm. Um, I just have a couple quotes I wanted to just give this, this you know, from uh, mentioned from the book and it's, you know, kind of backing up to, to the intro to the book. We talk about a scenario uh, that's a fictional scenario uh, kind of in the mid thirties. So, you know, kind of fast forwarding at 15 years ahead. But this is from Jerome Powell when he was being interviewed by 60 Minutes, our um, Federal Reserve chairman. And he said the world evolves and the risks change as well. And I would say that the risk that we keep our eyes on the most is cyber risk. There are scenarios in which a large financial institution will lose the ability to track the payments that it's making, where you would have a part of the financial system come to a halt. And so we spend so much time, energy and money guarding against these things. So that's just one quote. I'll give you one more real quick. This is from um, Chris DeRussia, who many of us in Michigan know. Chris uh, was CISO in Michigan after me, and they went on to join the Biden administration. And this is one of his Senate testimonies. He's, he's a federal CISO now um, in Washington. And he said this in, in Senate testimony, we're at a crossroads for the nation's cybersecurity. SolarWinds incident exposed gaps in our cyber capabilities and risk management programs, not just in the federal government, but in some of the most mature and well-resourced companies in the world. The event should serve as both a wake-up call and a galvanizing opportunity for the federal government industry to come together and tackle these threats with renewed resolve. This collaboration is critical as private sector entities have primary responsibility for the defense and security of their networks. And then it goes on, it says the government must communicate threat assessments to inform private sector operations ensure common situational awareness. There's more, this is quotes from the president, a quote from FireEye, um, where, where Kevin Mandia uh, talks about, um, you know, really the, the, the details of what happened in the solar winds, it was unique. And they've been tracking this for, you know, many, many years. And, and, and the things that are happening now are more targeted. Um, some are nation state attacks, some are just very sophisticated actors that are, um, may or may not be nation state. But you know, we're, we're facing a barrage. And uh, this is, you know, we're added on top of the challenges we're facing with the supply chain we're just talking about with our Thanksgiving turkeys. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is a scary situation. Speaking of firearm, Mandiant, um, because I've had a few of the Mandiant uh, CISOs I've been talking to, what's your thoughts on, like, what is the difference? I really don't know, like, when Mandiant broke away from FireEye, is there, is FireEye and Mandiant? doing two separate things? Are they still basically doing the same thing, but two different companies? Yeah, you know, I, I, I hesitate to talk about that, Kim, because I'm not, I'm not really at liberty to speak about specifically, especially with my Presidio hat on. You know, yeah, what, yeah. What my personal opinions are, what I, I honestly don't really know exactly what they're doing with, with that. Um, I do have a lot of respect for Kevin Mandy. I, I, I've, I've known him for a while and, you know, early days when they first created Mandy and I, I, I had some conversations with Kevin. So, um, but I, I'd rather pass on that question. Sorry. It's That's okay. Amazing. That was just a personal question of it's mine. It's a great question and, you know, and maybe you and I can speak about that offline, but I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pass on that one. That's a great I, question. I have a lot of respect for, you know, all of the FireEye and Mandy. Yeah. I mean, they're, Me they've done some really great things and, 
Anyway, go moving on. So back to, I don't think a lot of people remember that you were the CISO of the state of Michigan. So how long ago has that been? Yeah, so I was 17 years in Michigan government. So I was uh, 97 to 2014. And um, I had a variety of different roles in Michigan. I was an HD CIO. I was the CTO. Um, well, I, well, then I became um, CIO for one agency specifically in the late 90s during Y2K. So that was like uh, Department of Management and Budget. Then I was in the governor's office, Governor Engler, um, doing basically working uh, eMichigan, building Michigan.gov. We were the first .gov state government in the country. Um, and then, you know, became the first state government CISO uh, in 2002 to 2009, um, and uh, you know was involved in that first blackout. We can talk about that if you like. That, yep, that's where I was going with this. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, you know, um, when you were there during that blackout in 2003, share how you led the state's technology agency response and what you learned from that, and how is that? You know, that was in 2003, and you know things have changed so much in 2021. So. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing, though, because, you know, we can, we go back and, and the military people, they, as you know, they study, you know, the battles from World War Two and, and Vietnam and everything else. And, and even even, you know, going back to, you know, hundreds of years ago, the good, bad and ugly of what happened. And, and I think a lot of the lessons we learned back in 03 at the blackout, the Northeast blackout still apply today. Um, so let me just say real quickly what happened. I mean, I was the, the CISO for the state. I was um um, also, at that time, was management and budgets emergency management coordinator um, for and for the for the DIT Department of Information Technology. Um, so uh, basically, you know, we were coming about two years after 9/11, so everyone still had that in their mind a lot. And uh, we had done a lot of plans on you know what if scenarios. But we still everyone was talking about Y2K at that time. Kim, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of shows how you know year 2000 problem. And so we had a lot of plans about what you know what are we going to do if things go down. Um, but uh, it was the middle, it was the mid, mid-August day. Um, all of a sudden, downtown Lansing, all the lights go out. Um, everyone was kind of shocked. We didn't know if it was a terrorist attack. What you know, what had happened? Like the, the news, you know, driving home that day um, in my car, it was literally everyone was saying that the whole Northeast was blacked out, and they were saying that it might, you know, was a terrorist attack. In fact, you know, on many radio stations, it, it, people were thinking in the early hours. You know, it's another 9-11. You know, something major has happened. Somebody's brought down the grid. Um, and it was multi-states. It was, you know, hitting New York. People have those pictures of people walking across the bridge. And and um, so in Michigan, you know, we um, – it literally, I took a half an hour to get out of the parking garage. I was kind of weaving between cars. It was like some movie, right? Uh, but we knew where to go. We went to the state's emergency coordination center. And um, we spent – I spent the better part of four, you know, four days – uh, with a few, few, you know, a few hours of sleep, but basically, you know, the state recovering. Um, you know, parts of Mid Michigan were down for about 24 hours. Other parts, like Detroit, were down for two days. Um, other places were even down longer than that in New York and other parts of the country. But a lot of the things that that come right to the center for whether it's 03 or whether it's 2021 or now, one of the first things are, you know, when and if you have all these plans, you have all these tabletop exercises, and they're all important, and you and you strategize, but, you know, who you're going to call, how are you going to communicate, um, you know, what are you going to use? You know, this these things may not be available, right? Phones. Uh, everyone just assumes, I'll just call, I'll just text. You know, uh, will those be available? We had 800 megahertz radios people were using back then. 
um, and and you know people still use some of those today. Um, you know, what is your communication? Who are you going to call? Are they going to be available? About half the people we thought that we're going to be available, we're not available. Um, and so, uh, you know, we all met. Um, interestingly enough, uh, governor at the time was Governor Granholm, who's now Energy Secretary. Um, we were we met in the emergency coordination center. Of course, they had emergency generators there. But two of our main data centers, we had three large data centers. Two of the three did not have generators at the time. One of the things I'll just say right out of the gate, we took away from that. We need power in those generators. We needed generators to power those data centers. And it, you know, it seems so obvious now. But um, we were able to get Homeland Security grant money after that, get those generators in place for those two data centers. And then a year later, we didn't have a state, a, 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 you know, nationwide Northeast blackout, but we had a major ice storm in Michigan. But the fact that we you know, took some of those action items that we took, we were able to stay up statewide in Michigan during that, during the, um, a major ice storm uh, that, that hit mid-Michigan that didn't affect Detroit, actually. It didn't affect the UP, Upper Peninsula of Detroit, uh, of Michigan, I'm sorry. Um, but we were able to stay up because we had those generators. So we, we came away with like 21 action items out of that. Um, you know, how are you going to communicate? We had, a, we had a portal that was in Denver, that was in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, that we couldn't get access to because, you know, even though we had generators in the main area, some of the, um, some of the switches, some of the connectivity that we needed did not have power. So, you know, we, we were running around the first night trying to get connectivity, update the portal so we could give people instructions on where they could go, you know, literally from a website perspective. So looking at an end-to-end -end perspective, looking at who you're going to call, looking at who's available. It was interesting, the state's emergency management coordinator, John Ord at the time for state, uh, state of Michigan, um, was actually on vacation in Mexico. So wow. the, person, the person who ran the whole episode, the whole incident was, um, was, was Captain Etchu at the time. I, I mentioned this because it's interesting. The people you meet at these events, sometimes you, if, it, if it goes well, can you know become um, partners and, and you know colleagues and, and friends even you know for years or for decades. Uh, Colonel Etch, uh, Captain Etchu, um, who ran that incident, went on to become Colonel uh, Etchu, and then she ran Michigan State Police a decade later. So you know it's it's amazing how I you know you meet you meet people in an emergency you, you work with people in an emergency that later you know oftentimes um, you know become really central to your partnerships um, I think through that whole incident one of the things I'll just mention Kim, there's a whole, a whole list of lessons we actually talk about and, and, and walk through the story of what happened but you know the reality is is that um, we actually strengthened our team um, we were prepared for that, and thankfully, you know, the power came back on 24 hours later in mid-Michigan, 48 hours later in Detroit. Um, we had to, you know, support, um, you know, the, the food inspectors who were literally shutting down um, restaurants in, in Detroit that were serving spoiled food. I mean, you, you all kinds of things come up that you don't expect. But, but one of the things I did learn through that, so many things, the importance of communication, the importance of having backup communications, who you're going to call, backup lists, keeping that accurate, but also the importance of really, um, if you do well, you can strengthen your uh, relationships. And, and literally, we came out of that, and a lot of organizations in state government, we just did a big reorg and a big re-centralization uh, of our IT team, and people really felt like, wow, these guys are really good. And we actually strengthened our position. We came out of that emergency 
with, with a better relationship with our customers. We strengthened our relationship with our clients and they said, thank God you were there because ha we wouldn't have been able to support the things we needed to support without you. So, you know, you know if, if you're ready, um, emergencies can be time times when you actually grow and you prepare um, um, and you strengthen, uh, you know, your business partnerships from, you know, from an IT perspective, from a communication perspective. If you're not prepared, it can really obviously derail whole companies and bring down businesses. Well, you know, it kind of ties right into life. You know, you have to, failing only makes you stronger. So the same yep. thing, you know, with some of these situations. What What was your thought when you saw everything that happened in Texas compared to what you guys had in Michigan, where you guys had real snow? You had a real snowstorm. <laughs> what you know? I, I, yeah, I'm I mean, not sure they're way more prepared than they. Yeah, and I, I think this, sure. Well, Kim, great point. I mean, I mean, like in, in North Carolina, the story is in New York. With with Debbie Snyder, Deb Snyder, uh, North Carolina, Maria Thompson, and and, and Nancy Rainasek, the CISOs in Texas. Um, these were ransomware attacks, and and they recovered rel pretty quickly. But they talked about some of the same themes, you know. And we saw some common some common threads across all of this. Is like you know running, you know having exercises, having you know we talk about this in the book, having a, a you know, playbooks. You know, if if you're just gonna wing it. If, and if you're an organization out there and you don't have a cyber plan, you know, an incident response plan um, that can that can deal with this. In Michigan, we, we discovered that really well. Even a decade later, we created what was called the Michigan Cyber Disruption Response Strategy under Governor Rick Snyder. Um, you know, a decade later when I was CSO over physical and cybersecurity. And at the time we were doing that, Kim, in 2011, 2012, nobody in the country had a Michigan cyber disruption response strategy. Like, what's that? You know, why <laughs> do you need one? It was like, but now it's like every state's got one. I mean, because, it, or most states, not a lot of organizations still don't. Um, but it's like, you know, if you think ahead, if you plan ahead, um, you're, you're, such, you're in so much of a better situation. And, and specifically, like in Texas, I know they had a really bad week. Um, but Nancy walks through what they did from a central perspective and and um, and were able to get back pretty quickly. I know they didn't pay the ransom in Texas for some of those stories. Um, some cases we have examples where people did pay pay ransoms. But, you know, the reality is, is that uh, that preparation is so key. Having a good plan, testing the plan, having a plan and not testing it. It's pretty much worthless. Um, you know, we, we I say worthless, but it's, it's worth a lot less. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, what, one example I, I, you know, we talk about um, where they, when they, they tried to do backups, they had backups of all their critical systems and they tried to restore them and they quickly figured out it was going to take weeks because it was literally petabytes of data and they didn't have the lines to be able to, to do, you know, and they were going to have to really respond quickly. Um, and, and so they couldn't be down for weeks and they, and they had to pay, you know, pay the ransom. So, I mean, there's examples of, of where, um, even when you had the plan, because it hadn't really been tested, they weren't really prepared. So what's your thoughts on paying and not paying a ransom? Do you feel like it's case by case or what's your overall thoughts on paying the ransom? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, clearly the easy answer is don't pay. Right. Um, I think that's a little bit of a red herring. It's a hard it's a hard discussion to have with people. I, I, I'm against legislation that says you should not pay because 
I do think in there are scenarios where um, literally by not paying, you, you know, a government or a business could be down, could go out of business, could be down for weeks or months. I mean, the goal of us as cyber professionals, certainly the goal of Presidio, uh, we have a ransomware, um, we actually offer a, a, a boot camp and, you know, walking people through risk assessment and the things they can do to prepare if ransomware were to hit them, um, you know, really have a really good understanding because the, the key is being prepared, right? The key is um, having good backups, having tested backups, having processes and procedures. So if you were hit, with a ransomware uh, situation that you could recover without having to pay. I mean, clearly I'd rather say, you know, don't pay, but I'm not gonna make an arbitrary statement across the board, you know, don't ever pay, because I know of examples where it literally would have brought down um, entire businesses or governments for weeks or months, and it would have created, it cost them a lot more, um, and, and certainly would have been a situation where, um, it, they, they basically uh, would have been out of business and, and, and bankrupt. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of challenges to it. It's a very, you can come back and have a whole question just on the pay or not to pay. I mean, cyber insurance comes into it as well. Um, you know, what, you know, what is, what does your policy say? Uh, what, will, what will be covered? Um, I think one of the biggest things is um, how quickly can you get back up and can you become operational? Um, not, you know, can you do it at some point? But can you know what is that return to operations? What is that RTO time, and, and and how quickly can you do that? And that's where testing and practice comes into play. Um, so I, I don't think there's any one answer to this. I, I know I'd, people want a yes or no answer. I would prefer not to pay. And in many cases, we have lots of great stories where people did not pay and they're able to fully restore without paying. I think that's the preference. That's certainly what the FBI is going to say, and, and a lot of the law enforcement people. But there are times when paying the ransom um, really is, is, is the decision that, that, you know, the leadership, the CEO, the president of the company decides they need to do that for the survival of the company. Yeah, it's, that's a tough one. I mean, when you go back and look at Colonial Pipeline, I mean, did they have a choice? Which, you know, things were happening fast. When a colonial pipeline is one that we talk about a little bit in the book, um, we, we, we don't go in a deep dive into colonial, but I will tell you, though, there's been a lot of great um, articles on that. I can just say that, you know, it's a really interesting uh, case study, colonial, because they made the decision to shut down the pipeline. It was really the back office finance systems. It was they couldn't build. Right. So they, they, they had lost the ability to really have the back office systems. And they made the decision because they couldn't they didn't know how they were going to build their clients or customers, they just to shut down the pipeline. Um, but that does bring up a really important point where, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, we have an air gap between the operational network and the, and the, and the back office systems or finance systems, payroll systems, where a lot of times, you know, those things can come together. And so, you know, we've discovered that, you know, lots of different exercises. One of the other things we cover in the book, um, Kim, is is we talk a lot about, you know, the federal government has these cyberstorm exercises. They work with governments all over the world. And some true stories of, of some of those um, examples of what happened during cyberstorms, you know, one, two, three, four, five. I was involved in a lot of the early cyberstorms, the uh, Department of Homeland Security and CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. They're already, they're, they continue to do these exercises with the public and the private sector. The banks are doing them. Uh, hospitals are doing them, and lessons learned from those um, exercises of, 
of, of, of what to do in, in those situations. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing how many things you can predict um, will happen if you really think through um, this, you know, the scenarios, learn from others' mistakes, learn from what those have gone before you. And that's really what we try and cover in the book. What are some of the lessons, things that CIOs, CISOs, CTOs, CEOs, CFOs wish they had known before it happened? No one ever told me this. No one ever told me that. And some of them were not like really sophisticated things, but there were things that like, wow, you know, that's really important. And, and, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are new and different about ransomware attacks um, and, and data breaches in 2021. But a lot of the same things are, you know, priorities, just like in war or um, so many other things about life. It's, you know, in relationships and other things about life is, you know, communication, uh, having accurate lists that are updated, having backup plans for if you can't use your cell phone, if you can't use your, your email, if you can't use your texting, what are you going to do? What's the plan? And, and, and thinking through those things in advance and then actually practicing that can be so powerful. So how do you, I mean, you talked about who your intended audience is to read the book, but how do you make that book desirable for a CEO or a CFO who are a COO who is looking to their security teams to make sure what you're writing about doesn't happen to them? Again, once again, getting the board and the top executives to understand how important it is for them to be educated on the kind of stuff you're writing in your book. Well, one great way is to be on the Kim Akeem show. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I thank you for having me. I, you know, I, always, I, always love, I always love talking to you and, and you know, trying to get the word out. So, I mean, we have a variety of things we're doing to try and get the word out, marketing and, and, and that kind of thing. And um, it, But it really is, it, we, we hope um, it's not just for technology and cyber pros. I mean, this really is a business. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a small, medium, large business, um, if you are a you know, a government, you know, any size government, small, medium, large, you know, I think you can benefit. The stories in here are really, you know, helpful. And I, I really think, you know, beneficial. So we have, we're trying to get the word out. We have a variety of ways we're trying to get the word out to people, um, you know, and, and I won't go through all of those right now, but I, I, I do think, you know, you bring up a really good point, Kim, that I want to emphasize right now. And that is, this is really about business risk. You know, and, and it's it's not primarily about encryption. It's not primarily about, you know, how does ransomware work? I mean, those things are important. Um, there's a lot of the papers on that. There's a lot of blogs on that. Um, there's a lot of different uh, checklists that people can use. But, but really thinking about the business um, and the stories about, you know, what really happened to different businesses given different situations and, and, and knowing, starting off with, yes, it can happen to you. It's amazing how many people think this still will not happen to mm -hmm. us. Um, not that they're necessarily immune or they think they're going to, you know, they're going to hit somebody else. They're going to hit, you know, a larger company or, you know, literally we have examples of where people, you know, $100 million, you know, almost billion-dollar companies think, well, we're only, you know, we're only a billion-dollar company. Um, you know, they're going to go after, you know, Microsoft and they're going to go after FireEye. They're going to go after, you know, the truth is, is that um, as we learned with SolarWinds, it's the supply chain and they and, and the bad actors know that they can get into the supply chain and, and, you know, any kind of software and then and then use that to gain access to get a foothold into larger companies. Um, the supply chain right here in Michigan, where I, I work, you know, we've got. Auto, auto supply chain, tier one, tier two suppliers, 
you know, and if they can if they can stop that, um, you know, one critical component part, it can, it can disrupt the entire supply chain. So, you know, just understanding, getting the word out to people that this really is about, um, you know, business disruption. You know, that that that's that a leader's guide um, to preparing, to managing, to recovering from inevitable business disruption. You know, this is this is something that's really going to be part of the new normal uh, in the 20s and 30s in in, 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 uh, in America and around the world. So it's really being prepared and being resilient. We, that word comes up a lot. We haven't used it yet in this interview, but resilient and being able to recover when it does happen. Well, when I started my second company, FutureCon, three years ago, you can see big and bold on our website that it said, secu- you know, security is no longer an IT problem. Yep. And that's where I was going back to, again, you know, these companies that think it's not going to happen to me and the CEOs and the CFOs and the ones I mentioned before. Again, when do you think it's going to finally get their attention that I need to read Dan Lorman's book and learn <laughs> that security is not just an IT problem anymore? Our cybersecurity, that's what it says on our website. Again, there still is that mentality, but I do think after seeing what happened to Colonial Pipeline, I think it, it hopefully woke up some of the you know board members and the people that are not in the cybersecurity you know, space. But how do we still carry, you know, what do we do as a community in the cybersecurity community to get these higher levels to, you know, understand that they have to be part of these initiatives? Yeah, I think I think it's a great point. Uh, you know, it's 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 funny because I know a lot of the people that I communicate with and I know you do as well on LinkedIn and around social media talk about the fact that you know we've been talking about a wake-up call for decades, right? How many wake-up calls do we need? You know, from you know Snowden situation to OPM data breach to Equifax to Target, on and on and on. We can list how many you know the, the different movie studios that were hit. Um, so many people get hit, and and then people think you know, well, what's it going to take? I do think the Colonial Pipeline was a wake-up call in a in a different way. Um, I'll tell you this, Kim, I'll just say, I'll mention this, that, you know, I, I see, you know, um, you know, just that, that the gas lines in the southeast part of the United States, you know, and, and literally stories of, of, of first graders, you know, six-year-old daughters being driven to, to, to school by their father and, and saying, you know, daddy, why are these cars in line? You know, this wasn't like this yesterday. Why are they lined up to get their gasoline? And, you know, father's replying back, well, it's ransomware, honey. So, you know, now the five and six-year-olds are learning what ransomware is because, you know, you can't get gas. You have to wait in line for three hours. Um, that that That's certainly a wake-up call. Um, now, will we get, you know, complacent? Um, I, I, you know, I, this is going to be continually um, a challenge. And I, I don't think it's a one-time thing. I think it's um, I, I, I like to use, you know, I don't use a lot of this in the book, but I like in my, a lot of my blogging and writing, I write for Government Technology Magazine and CSO Magazine. I, I have a, a lot of sports analogies. Um, you know, there are upsets all the time, teams that aren't supposed to lose, lose. You know, my Michigan State Spartans here in Michigan, you know, lost to Purdue last week and it was an upset and Purdue actually knocked off Iowa too earlier in the year. And say, how can that happen? You know, our team's a better team, but, you know, 
it, it really is, you know, it, it's so many pieces of this. It's, it's people, process, and technology. It's not just, and we make that theme throughout the book. And a lot of the stories are we thought we were prepared, or we thought we had the right technology, or we thought we had the right process. And then, you know, somebody was gone. It, it, was, it became a people issue. Um, one of the one of the lessons we have that we talk about in the book that you and I haven't talked about yet, but you know, I'll tell one of the quick story from the book. Um, Mark Weatherford, who was you know, I first, first met Mark when he was a CISO in Colorado. He went on to become CISO in California, then CISO for North American Electricity Reliability Council, and then Undersecretary for Cybersecurity um, in, in in Washington um, at, at Department of Homeland Security. Now he works he has worked with. Um, Sheratoff Group, and he's worked with a variety of companies now. But he tells a story when he was in California, um, and 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 he was a CISO, and and they were very decentralized. So it's almost think of like a parent company with 144 sub subsidiaries, because like every agency in California kind of was running their own thing at the time. Um, he was the CISO for the state, but didn't have a lot of individual authority over individual. Um, you know, parts of government. And there may be many listening today that feel like they're in the same situation that, you know, I, I'm, I have this role, but I don't really have a lot of line, you know, budgetary authority or resource authority over different subsidiaries or whatever. Well, Mark um, was called in uh, and he, he had an agreement that he was supposed to be hearing every time a, a CISO was appointed in state government in California. And um, he heard that a CISO um, had been appointed to one agency, and we, we it's the whole story in the book. I won't go through the whole story, but basically, um, he was surprised because he had not been part of the interview process, had not been consulted. He was kind of brought in after the fact. Well, he went in and he met with this person who had been appointed as CISO over this agency, and it turns out he said, you know, the guy was very nice and professional and kind and all that. But he just didn't seem like he was qualified, and and there's something was wrong. Something was wrong. Well, then, like a week or two later, so let's have a follow up. He was going to get back together with the guy in a month, and they were going to you know do lunch again. And he got contacted and said that person no longer worked um, for the agency, and he was like shocked by this. Turns out the person had just been released from prison, had a, a criminal record, and had no experience. <laughs> they had hired somebody who was not the right person. Um, and, and, and literally that was the person in, in, in charge because he knew somebody um, had been appointed to that, to that role, which is, you know, and, and some of the lessons that Mark learned through that. So one of the, you know, making sure the right people are involved, the right people are um, looking at your cyber team and your cyber program, your technology program that have the right experience. Um, I think that's especially hard right now with so many vacancies out there, so many people, it's hard mm -hmm. to hire. Um, good cyber people in the private sector, much less in the government. I know people around the country that have lost, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% of their teams in the last nine months, Kim, that they're really struggling to hire people and keep staff, you know, uh, attracting and retaining talent um, is a huge challenge. Um, so my point is this, there's so many different things. You think you've got the right technology, you think you have the right process, and then the wrong person is inside and doesn't really know what they're doing and, and, and all of a sudden the hole opens up. Or you got the right person and you got the right technology, but the process isn't repeatable. Um, and so all of those things are part of it. And really it, it, the stories in the book are, there's over 35 stories of incidents, are really how do those come together? You know, How do you bring together the people, the process and the technology to really make sure that you're protected? Well, we're getting close, coming up 
on the hour. So be yep. um, I just want to hone in on a few things. So what would be some of your messages of, you know, how I'm really excited to get your book. I, I want to <laughs> read your book. I can't wait to read it. I'm excited to have it at my event. But what would be some of your messages of what can we do today to make things better just as a business leader and the you know upper management, the upper sea levels that are listening to their show, the show? Sure. Well, um, you know, in, in chapter one, we, we, we walk away with five. I'm going to give you a couple of the ones. One is one of the ones I just went through, which is, you know, make sure you've got the right person in charge who's got the right relationships, the right authority, the right resources to get the job done. Um, I think the first one was right out of the book. And this was, you know, really from Singapore, but all over the world. You know, this is the new normal. You know, th- you know, it, this is, problem is not going away. You can't wait it out. You can't just hope. Um, and you've got to take action. And I think, you know, really, you know, look at your peers, look at, you know, who's best, best um, in class, you know, look at if, if you're saying, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Department of Defense, I'm not the federal government, I'm not even state government, I'm just you know, the small business sort of look at your peers. I mean, you name almost any area, any industry, there have been ransomware attacks, there have been data breaches. Um, it's happening all around us. So opening your eyes, do a good risk assessment is the first step. I mean, I think, you know, the, the reason your show is doing so well and the reason it's going to continue is there isn't any one silver bullet. There is no one answer to this. It takes vigilance. It takes resiliency. It takes um, it takes really um, having a good plan in place and practicing and really, um, you know, having playbooks, uh, really working with all hands on deck, it really has to be the entire business. It's not just IT. And and, and having tabletop exercises, preparing before an incident. Well, maybe I'll come back, come back. We'll talk about during an incident and after an incident. But but you know, we talk in the book about um, you know turning turning cyber lemons into organizational lemonade. And you know, what can you learn from it? So many people have said to me. I hear this from consultants across. And I'll maybe end with this, um, Kim. You know, we're almost out of time. And that is that. You know, so many organizations they go into, they can tell whether there's been an incident or not, a major a, a breach or a major ransomware attack. Because when there has been, they're focused, they're engaged, they really, you know, they, they're listening, they're like on the edge of their seat, it, they're passionate about it. When they haven't, they're kind of like, you know, Bob's not going to be here, Sarah's missing the meeting. It, 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 there's not that sense of urgency. Our hope with this book is that you can have true stories of what really has happened across different industries, across government, public, private sector, and really be able to learn from that before it happens. Learn from the mistakes and the and the and the and the things people did right. It's not all, all bad. There's a lot of good people have done right. Learn from that, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then put those things into practice. That's amazing. Dan Lorman, he's the Chief Security Officer of Presidio. Thank you for being on our show today. You can find his book, Cyber May Day, and the day after, I assume, on uh, Amazon still. Or it's out there, not still. I just want to make sure it's out there. It's coming. It's it's out there, not a pre-order, but it's coming. Actually, it's going to be available overnight shipping on the 16th. All right. uh, Excellent. Great Christmas present. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And um, have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay secure. And we will see you next Friday. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. 
Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. 